Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I won't let my body outweigh. Outweigh everything that I'm made of Won't spend my life trying to change I'm learning to love who I am I am strong, I feel free I know every part of me is beautiful And I will always outweigh If you feel it, put your hands in the air Show some love to the new while you're there Let's take it one day at a time Cause you and I outweigh Happy Saturday, Outweigh fam. It's Amy here. And today we're going to be recapping the dangers of a statement like you need to lose weight. I'm going to share with you a conversation we had with Dr. Joshua Woolrich, who explains what weight stigma is and the dangers of it. He actually challenges the statement, you need to lose weight and shares how weight stigma negatively impacts patient care, being that he's a doctor. This is a conversation that lives in episode four of the OG four-part Outweigh series from 2020 on the Four Things with Amy Brown podcast. If you haven't listened to all four parts, we highly encourage you to check it out. But for now, here is our conversation with Dr. Josh. We are so excited to have Dr. Joshua Walrich here with us all the way from the UK, where he works as a surgical doctor at the NHS. Hey, Josh, <laughs> you're all about fighting weight stigma, which is awesome. And if people want to find you on Instagram, at Dr. Joshua Walrich, 
W-O-L-R-I-C-H. You will not be disappointed. Sorry, I just, I just laughed because of the way you said NHS. That was all. Did I say it wrong? N-H-S. <laughs> no, no, it was very no, choppy. I've just never had anyone say it slowly before. Oh. It's such a common phrase here, you see. <laughs> NHS. <laughs> well, we are so excited to have you here. Thanks for your time. I know we've got quite the time difference going on here. I found you over Instagram. I have no idea how. I've started a few months ago. And it's always a treat because you question everything we've been told. Yeah, that's the plan. Right. So <laughs> Sometimes get in trouble for it, but it's more fun that way. Of course. And that's what I love about you. You have more than passion. You have the confidence to speak for what you believe in without worrying about the haters, for lack of a better word. I feel like mm. you're one of those people that never says, oh, well, what will happen if I say this? You just say it. But it's with conviction and, most importantly, with evidence behind it. Uh, well, to be fair, I do uh, hold back on quite a lot of stuff. You probably just don't see it. Um, but, fair enough. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I agree. There's, uh, I think I'm less afraid to speak out about stuff than a lot of people are. I'm not entirely, entirely sure why. And I will probably get myself in trouble for it at some point. But I'd rather get myself in trouble for doing something like that than kind of just sit by and watch it all happen, really. Well, Josh, we wanted to specifically have you on to talk about weight and how it does not equal health. And we'll just mm. fire off some questions to you and then you can give us your answer. Yeah. So, I mean, you're always talking yeah, about weight stigma and this is a brand new series. It's not a topic that we've spoken about before. So could you actually just define for everybody what weight stigma is? It's, it's discrimination of someone uh, based on their size. Uh, and that can go, it can go either way. It can be uh, due to someone having a, a higher body weight or due to someone having a lower body weight. But more typically, it tends to be the former. So it tends to be assumptions and discrimination because of somebody at a higher body weight, usually without any good basis behind it, but just purely because of their size. And what are the dangers of weight stigma on our actual health. So I guess, you know, starting with the a bigger body, which you're saying gets the yeah. most discriminated. Mm. So this, this was something that at one point obviously was new to me as well. It wasn't something I'd ever thought about, but it's uh, the, the more I looked into it, the more kind of concerned I was about just how much of an impact it does have, not just uh, on the mental side of things, things uh, which would be the more uh, would, would be the more obvious things to think about. Yeah, the, the, the whole psychological impact of uh, people discriminating against you, but it's also the, the physical side. So we know that the people's physical health actually ends up worse off after they've been subject to discrimination for a period of time. It, it is quite all-encompassing and it's quite concerning, especially when you look at the fact that it's, it's often completely ignored and so just how much of an impact it's having on someone's health is really, really hard to define. But we know that it's nothing but negative. Right. So one of the things, you know, I'm a registered dietitian. And one of the things yeah. that I've had to unlearn over the past few years is that most people, most Americans, I could at least confidently say, think that higher weight means you will get disease. And therefore, mm -hmm. it is your life's purpose, your duty to lose weight so that you don't have disease. So what would yeah. be a more correct way to talk about weight in a way that propels us 
to help people actually achieve better health? So one of the things, uh, and I, I just wanted to clarify, that's the UK as well, by the way. It's not okay. not just the US. <laughs> but uh, what, one of the things that I'd kind of heard a bit more recently that, that struck a chord with me that I thought was really interesting was uh, somebody kind of comparing it to age. So if you if you take somebody's age, as we get older, we're more at risk of certain things, right? We're, uh, you know, we're, we're more at risk of, of getting cancer as we get older. We're more at risk of getting arthritis as we get older. And that's just a risk that we acknowledge and we, we put certain things in place to try and minimize that risk or to try and kind of pick up on on certain health conditions uh, so for example screening programs increase in frequency as we get older and things like that and i found it really interesting thinking about weight in a similar way so not not pretending that that there is no potential health consequences from being at a higher body weight, just like there are at, at being at a, at a much lower body weight as well. But it's more the manner in which we talk about them and the manner in which we think about whether they're actually changeable or whether they're just something that we, we need to be aware of and need to improve our healthcare around. And a lot of that is around whether or not deliberate weight loss is actually sustainable and whether or not the, the process of deliberate dieting is actually overall positive or negative for our health. Um, and I'd argue it's the latter. I'd argue that for the majority of people, going on diets and deliberately restricting calories for the purpose of losing weight tends to end up as, an, uh, as a net negative effect on their health. And so instead of just treating somebody of a higher body weight and saying, well, you're at risk of disease, you need to lose weight, mm -hmm. it's more a case of, looking and treating those people with compassion but also with knowledge of how just how unsuccessful deliberate weight loss is and therefore not stigmatizing but in fact looking at ways of supporting and helping just like we would in in healthcare with anything else i just think we've we've completely started from the wrong angle when it comes to weight so josh i saw something that you posted on instagram you put, I don't normally advocate burning books, but I think we should make an exception for ones written by medical doctors claiming to have discovered the perfect diet. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't mm. re-gift them. And then in your caption, you put, accurate diet advice isn't sexy. It doesn't really sell books, despite being pretty straightforward. And you said, prioritize vegetables and fruit, prioritize complex carbohydrates, prioritize polyunsaturated fat, prioritize lean sources of meat, get plenty of fiber. And so mm. you want to expand on that just for a second? Because I mean, I'm sure people like it's this weird, we're in this place of we want to tell people, okay, don't join this diet culture and don't be a part mm. of this mm. world. But there may be someone genuinely listening. What if a, a patient is coming to you and they do need to lose weight? Like, is this how you would handle that? The, the thing that flags in my mind, and I really want to hear your response Joshua is the, the yeah. what I'm learning right is like they need to lose weight okay. but what is the behavior that they need to change because weight loss is not a behavior right so mm -hmm. we've been mm -hmm. telling people to do something that's not a behavior mm. but how can we better communicate to get them to where they need to go which is essentially I think Amy's question yes so I love traveling and coming home to my bed because it's comfy and familiar. I love crawling into it. Well, what if you could take your bed on the road with you so that way you got good night's sleep while you're on a trip? And it's not your entire bed, but at least your bedding, which is the best part. Let me introduce you to Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding. 
Now, Cozy Earth is travel-friendly and hassle-free, and the bedding comes in these adorable totes, which makes it really easy for you to take it on trips with you. They also have really amazing loungewear, so if you're on a long flight, you can stay cool and comfy with Cozy Earth's temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew, and it'll add a touch of style to your travel ensemble as well. So whether you're exploring stuff near or far, take a little bit of home with you. Cozy Earth has everything you need to turn every moment into pure bliss. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code OUTWAY at checkout to get 35% off. And let them know that we sent you after you check out. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the juicy. podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. 
there are kind of two questions there. I'll start with that second one. So I firstly, I'd, I'd just challenge the statement of somebody needs to lose weight. I challenge that statement at the beginning, because I, I think what people actually mean when they say that is people need to improve their health or people are wanting to improve their health. And the issue is that we put all of that down to weight when actually there's a lot of evidence that, that healthy behaviors play a much bigger role in our health than the actual number on the scales. Mm -hmm. And so when we've got this attitude from the, from the get-go of, you know, well, this patient needs to lose weight, how can I actually kind of approach this in a, in a more compassionate manner? I, th I think actually we need to start reframing that conversation going, okay, well, this patient's coming in and my job as a doctor is to help them get healthier. So how can I actually advise them to do certain things that I know are guarantees for their health? And so, you know, when I'm when I work in the hospital at the moment, I don't actually I can't think of the last time I actually told a patient that they needed to lose weight because I don't actually think that that's particularly relevant or helpful advice to be giving people. Instead, it's those behaviors such as improving the frequency of exercise, improving sleep, improving their intake of, of nutritious fruit and veg and, and food in general, like you talked about on one of my posts earlier. Having that kind of advice to people is not only, obviously, depending on, on privilege and, and ability to do so, and not only relatively achievable, but they're not damaging and they're not harmful. If somebody attempts to exercise more frequently, the odds of that actually being harmful for them is very low. Whereas if you tell somebody they need to lose weight, not only if they actually end up doing so, not only is that not guaranteed to improve their health, but the potential for that actually leading to them, uh, you know, ending up with a disordered eating, ending up with a worse body image, all of that kind of stuff is very, is very true and is very real. And so just personally, I would just challenge that, that first statement of a patient comes needing to lose weight. I would always ask, well, why, what, what, what do you mean by needs to lose weight? Does that make sense? Does yes. That kind of and it's the perfect example of how language matters. Yes. And one of the things mm. that I've I've been so astounded to learn, which of course you know, is that weight stigma is an independent risk factor for disease. 100%. And one of the things that I, I think you say is that weight is, we're not saying, okay, weight has nothing to do with your health, just like age has nothing to do with, you know, getting risk of disease. But what we've oversimplified, shrunk down, you know, boiled it down to is that weight equals disease, higher weight equals yeah. disease, whereas there's, mm. it's, not, it's correlated, but it's not caused by. So what are the other factors that we can break down, like feeling mm. shameful mm. and having the stigma of how you're being perceived or having your doctor tell you that you're losing weight is actually backfiring, which is like, Oh my God, I'm gosh, I'm terrified because doctors, one of the things that they don't have, again, this in the US, is time with their patients. So, oh, it's, yeah, same here. It's, it's, okay. it's tight. So, all, being all able to tell them to eat, you know, polyunsaturated fatty acids, what's a polyunsaturated fatty acid? Telling them to eat what veg, <laughs> what veg, right? It's a lot easier to say, all you got to do is lose weight and your your hemoglobin A1C, your blood sugar, your marker for diabetes will just, you know, go go down. Easier, but but it doesn't, it doesn't, but work. It doesn't work. So, as you know, there's no point doing the easier thing if the outcome isn't going to be successful. You know, I'd, and it doesn't have to be that complicated. Like, I don't talk to people about polyunsaturated 
fats. I talk to people about, you know, where they're getting their sources of fat from. So fish, olive oil, it doesn't have to be fancy. I, I, right. that, that's not my role either. I'm not a dietitian, right? Mm-hmm. So if I start going into the the actual kind of uh, fancy in-depth details of nutrition, I'm, start, I'm stepping out of my bounds in the first place, mm-hmm. which is you know, one of the reasons why I said about burning books on diet written by doctors, because they're just not helpful. We're not the experts in this stuff in regards to specific nutritional advice, and we need to stop pretending that we are. But there are some very basic things that we can advise on, especially when we just stop blaming everything on weight. So actually, this the next conversation here is how does the way doctors have been educated about weight carry into the patient experience? And how do you fight against this in the work you do? I assume you're up against a lot every day. Yeah. I mean, so I I remember uh, back at medical school, not being taught about weight stigma in any way, shape or form. So not not being taught about the negative health effects of stigmatizing people for their weight, even though, as far as I'm concerned, it's incredibly relevant in pretty much all specialties and all practices, be that out in the community or be that in the hospital. And so we get taught about the risk factors, but without any of the caution of how the the manner in which we approach it or the way we talk about it can have from a negative side of things on the patient. So I, I don't think personally that, that doctors necessarily mean badly when they're when they're saying these things. I think that actually we're, you know, and I, I'd say this from personal experience as well, you know, we, we think that it's the correct advice to be giving or the correct way to be speaking because without without thinking about it in a slightly a novel way to a way we haven't thought about it before, it makes sense to advise weight loss if you don't think about the success rate of all of it. We, we have been taught an awful lot about how weight equals health. And I think we need to start unlearning some of it. And it, it does, I remember what you said. So it does, it does massively negatively affect the patient experience. Mm-hmm. Doctors and medical students have some of the highest rates of weight stigma when they're, when they're polled and when they're kind of questioned about uh, whether or not they assume. So for example, one way that weight stigma shows itself is by assuming that somebody who's over a certain body weight is lazy. Yeah, so it's a it's an assumption, and it leads to all sorts of things. It leads to lower hiring rates of people of a larger size because employers think they're not going to do the job properly. It's, it, it it goes far and beyond the actual kind of health sphere specifically. Yeah. But looking at it in terms of the doctor's office, it means that. There are other things that also come up. So doctors assume that somebody is going to be more lazy. Doctors assume that if they say they're doing something, they may not be. They assume that they're not eating fruit and veg, even though that's not necessarily true. Uh, you know, they assume that they're not exercising, although, again, that may not be true either. So there's a lot of assumptions that take place. And when you have such a short time for a consultation, those assumptions, unfortunately, end up sticking because you don't necessarily have the time to answer, to, to kind of check every single assumption, even though you should do. Um, so it does, it, it massively negatively impacts the kind of advice that gets given and the kind of care that people receive. And on top of that, it also impacts people's willingness to come back. So in, unless that weight stigma is internalized, which, uh, you know, we, we can talk about a bit if you want, the actual impact on the patient who goes in for something unrelated to their weight and yet again gets told that they should lose weight Mm. means that they're not going to want to come back again. And it leads to lower 
um, seeking lower rates of, of care seeking by patients. And it, it just adds to that whole reduced care for people of a higher body size because they end up not going back to their doctor as quickly as they should do for other medical health, health problems. That in itself is a real, is a real, real problem. Just something you said triggered a memory in me where there's been times mm. in my life that I have avoided going to the doctor or the OBGYN or wherever be- simply because I did not want to step on a scale. And I was yeah. terrified to see what I weighed because I wasn't weighing myself at home and I didn't want to, or maybe even if I was, I just didn't want their scale to be different than my scale at home and it be higher mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. send me into some weird thing just because of the number I saw on the scale of the doctor. Like, And there's yeah. probably people listening that have had that same exact fear. And so do you have any thoughts on that for people? Yeah, well, so I get messages like that all the time on my Instagram. It, it is, it's quite heartbreaking, some of them, because people go into quite extensive detail about some of the harm that they've come to because they haven't gone soon enough for certain things and they, they just haven't wanted to go to the doctor. And uh, the, the difficulty is because doctors in general don't really have an understanding of this impact of not just stigma, but the impact psychologically that people's body image has it means that there's no real there's no real second thought you know there's a tick box on on some of the uh, on some of the forms that's just you know well what's the patient's weight type it in tick box oh tell them to lose weight and it means that there's there's just no there's no thought process there that's the stuff that needs to change i get people and i'm assuming this is kind of the question you're asking as well i get people asking me well what can i do because i don't want to avoid my doctor because i have things that i need to get checked out but I can't bring myself to go because I know yet again there are going to be they're going to weigh me or they're going to tell me to lose weight or they're going to blame my my symptoms on my weight and the thing that I tend to advise not and, and again not that I'm the necessarily the expert on this but this just tends to be something that I feel would have prompted me to 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 take more thought before I before I ever started to look into some of this stuff is actually just having a conversation right at the beginning about again, if it's true, about disordered eating and just saying, look, I have quite harmful thoughts to me psychologically about my my body image and about my weight. The impact of dieting, attempted dieting in the past has led to me having quite disordered eating behaviors. And because of that, I really don't want to have discussions around my weight today. And I really feel uncomfortable being weighed because I feel like that would actually be quite detrimental to me psychologically. And so I'm, I'm just wondering whether we could avoid that today. Oh, and having that okay. conversation, I, I know, I know that, so no, one, no one's ever said that to me, ever. No, and, and I hadn't been a doctor very long before I started looking into this kind of stuff. But I would still argue that for the majority of doctors, they will never have had anyone say that to them. And that would, if somebody had said that to me, that would have, uh, you know, f- doctors do have an element of compassion, compassion in them. That's the point. And that would have been something that really would have taken me aback and gone like, hang on a second, what, what, what is this here? Like, that's, that's quite a big deal. And I know that that's probably also quite a big deal for people to say and for people to bring up the courage to say that kind of stuff. But that kind of comes under the, 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 the whole element of advocating for yourself when other people can't. And that would have brought up so many questions for me that I would have Googled, looked into, had conversations with my colleagues about. And for a doctor to, after you've said that to them, for a doctor to then go, yeah, I don't care, get on the scale. 
I think that's a that's a pretty good reason to find a different doctor. Yeah. Um, if you've actually said that to them and they still completely ignore you, whereas up until then it's more this learnt behaviour that mm-hmm. is that is just commonplace in in medical practice. Whereas once you once you say that to them, if they ignore you, then then that's no longer. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport, and I'm Kibi Rappaport, and together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? 
That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't, you can no longer blame that on learned behavior. That's then them not listening to the patient. And you don't want to be seeing a doctor that's not listening to you. And I think that's like a really good point. And I'm all about really trying to recognize that things aren't generalization. So not like, oh, all doctors suck or all Western doctors suck, you know, because they don't whatever. Mm -hmm. Your point there is that like anybody who went through the training to become a doctor is a compassionate, kind human being who cares about others more than they care about themselves. That being said, they're also very analytical and taught to find what is wrong, to find the diagnosis. So I think oftentimes Mm -hmm. they come into the room kind of like on a scavenger hunt, right? Like looking for what the problem is and lose the compassion element because they're so driven to find the problem. But when the patient comes in and says, hey, I'm a patient, I'm a human, I have these feelings, I think that the patient actually has incredible power to bring them back to human and have themselves advocate to be heard better, louder, clearer. And that, that compassionate thing is really important because I've seen, I've seen people being given advice around just take this piece of paper in and give it to the doctor and, you know, it says on this piece of paper, you know, I refuse to be weighed would you would you give this advice to a thin person? And all of those things are valid questions, but yes. they start personally. They start you off on the wrong foot exactly. because it it's makes too, it's it, it would. I no. know. Yeah, I know. It's it would defense. make me feel like you know I, I'm I'm not really being asked my opinion. I'm not really here as a doctor. I'm just being used to get something at that point. And it and it it's that compassion element. It's it's not forgetting that they are human too, and they actually want to help. It just sometimes they go about it in the wrong way. We're in the midst of a big change right now. I I don't know if it's only happening in my tiny corner of the internet, but I can't help but see how social media becomes the real world. And we are talking Mm -hmm. about these things. So for women and men that are afraid of the doctor to recognize that I think we're in the middle of a change. So don't get so frustrated. If you find a doctor that doesn't hear you, then it's time to find another doctor that may better be able to listen to to your needs. Yeah, and I know not everyone can do that, but but for people that can, I, I think that's quite a good plumb line to have. If you've had that conversation with them and they still ignore you, I think it's time to it's time to perhaps find somebody who's willing to listen to you because otherwise. You know, if they're not listening to you on that, then and they don't have to agree with you, right? So it's not that you say this and they suddenly go, "Oh, you're right. Weight's got nothing to do with you know. Weight should never be mentioned in a consultation because that kind of stuff is going to take time." But it's if they listen to you and they understand the frustrations and the the concerns that you have, that's a start, and that's something that can trigger more thoughts from them, and and you may actually even end up preventing the same kind of behavior with other patients. Josh, I want to shift to a little bit of a different topic and another thing that I saw Mm. you post about. I would definitely just encourage people to check you out on Instagram because you do put up stuff that's very thought-provoking and for me has been good to see. But this is a post from back in December where I'm assuming these are your words. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But you said, (laughs) short-sighted idiots. 
If everyone exercised in an attempt to undo the food they ate, the population would die of starvation. We need food to stay alive and function. We need food for health. The use of grossly inaccurate exercise calorie labels to encourage the earning of food only serves to encourage eating disorder behaviors. It's so blanking stupid. It's unreal. Exercise is a celebration (laughs) of what you can do, not a punishment for what you ate. Yeah, I think everything but that last sentence was mine. <laughs> I think I've heard that last sentence before. But oh, I well, and you did highlight that. Frequently. You highlighted that part in yellow, so maybe you credited it somewhere. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, but for me, I had never, uh, you know, those words, exercise is a celebration of what you can do, not a punishment for what you mm. ate. And I think for a lot of us, just that mentality of having to relearn I feel like it's just a part of life and it was very natural to be like, oh, well, I'm going to eat this. I better go work out or I ate that. I better go for a run. Or if I'm going to go to that dinner, I'm going to work out beforehand. Or worse, I can't eat that because then I'd have to work out. Yeah. So it's like. Yeah. Or I haven't been to the gym today, so therefore I should change what I've eaten for dinner. Things like that. And, And Amy and I always we have these conversations about food and movement, right? Like they're the two things that we're meant to eat. We're meant to have relationships with. We need food to survive and we're inherently made to move. We're not changing our relationship to not eat or to not move, but how can we Mm. shift the relationship for the positive so that food is not earned and that exercise movement is a celebration? Such an important Mm. conversation to be having. The reason I posted that in December is because I think there was some talk in the UK at least around the potential of changing the calorie labels on on food items to exercise labels instead of just having written on the packet how many calories was in a, a food item it actually had written on the packet you know how many minutes of running it would take and i just for me that was just so so short-sighted it was unbelievable like, who came up about with that just how damaging of some government person and probably but a person some, well yeah. but i mean oh, seriously <laughs> whether it's implemented at a government level i mean there's still like, damaging stuff just on social media like when it's halloween time and people are trick-or-treating oh, yeah. all kinds yeah, of yeah. articles come out of like if you eat a you know fun-sized kit kat if you do you know 300 jumping jacks and 10 burpees you burned it off so like then there i mean and they do it for all oh, no, the it's candies. a standard it's a yeah. standard conversation isn't it mm-hmm. it's uh it's 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 rife and it, and the only reason that they even considered it with the food labels is because of the fact that it's such a common thing for people to to talk about go remember all these people that, that make these decisions are are human too and they're all subject to this same damaging rhetoric that that just it's insidious it just happens and people don't think twice about it um and i just it the, the frustration for me is that when you start treating exercise as just something to undo food you know we we know that that food and activity are intrinsically linked we know that we know that you know if you're an elite athlete you you know having a having a nutritionist or a dietitian work with you and and you know prep your food and it, it's going to make you you know run faster or jump further like we we know that those two are intrinsically linked but unless you're a professional athlete always linking the two becomes really harmful psychologically because it means that you are just spending your whole time worrying about whether you've earned something and when you when you put something in that bracket it leads to a feeling of guilt and shame because if you eat and you don't think you've earned it then you feel guilty straight away right if you if you do something that you don't think you've earned you feel shame that you've that you haven't earned it or you so you've done the wrong thing and it just it creates this 
moralistic attitude around food where it's it's a bit like and it's on the same vein of when i talk about labeling foods good and bad which i i think is really really unhealthy and unhelpful as well it means that you you start thinking that you're a bad person if you've done the wrong thing and it's all of these rules that we start instigating and and implementing on ourselves because we see other people doing it and we see people talking about it in that way it's just i mean oh, i can't really put into words how frustrating it is when i see it and and how damaging i feel that it that it ends up being and also just how unfair it is to what exercise actually is and what exercise can actually do and how how good exercise can be and how important exercise is for our health it just ruins the whole flipping thing not just ruins it when you make it about food it becomes unsustainable it's like the first week the first the second week of living that way of, of seeing your food as you know, okay, well, I'm going to the gym more. I'm being healthy. It starts as like this inner motivation and then it fizzles because on the day that you can't get to the gym that day. Now what? Yeah. It's like it starts yeah, yeah. on this, that builds the morality. I'm good because I'm good because I'm okay because I'm okay because. And then the day the cycle pivots, which it will because life, you're faced with yourself and a negative relationship to food and exercise. So we need to it means not you be... don't give yourself flexibility exactly. either. Like, you know, exercise should be flexible. There are going to be right. certain weeks that you can exercise more. There are going to be certain weeks that you can't. There are going to be certain times in your life where something is going on and you get mo- and you get too busy to be able to actually have regular activity in your life. And there are going to be weeks when you have loads of time to do it. And if if everything has to be so rigid and so structured, that flexibility is lost and it and it makes you feel really bad that you can't do it. Quickly, just before we wrap, just being that you're a doctor that's on here and I feel like that gives you some credibility. I know Lisa's touched on this too, but even when it comes to working out or burning off the calories since we're on that topic, which I think we'll dig into it some Mm. more later, but it's not even accurate. So can you touch on what, like we're getting these food labels. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but in the US, it's like, okay, you just ate Mm. this. It's a hundred calories and 23 carbs and you know, this is what you need to do to burn it or track it or whatever. But all of our bodies are so different. Like I'm not breaking food down the way you're breaking food down. No, no, no. There is. I mean, you know, you, you know this more, probably more than I do. But uh, the the actual amount of, of energy that we absorb from food is going to vary from person to person. Mm-hmm. It's going to vary based on how that food's prepared. It's going to vary on all sorts of things. Not only is the actual kind of measurement of of how much energy we burn when we exercise going to be so vastly different from person to person because of their size and how intense they do the activity and all sorts of things but whether or not it's it's relevant at all or or how people then implement it when it comes to food is so off anyway so you've just got two completely inaccurate things that you're putting <laughs> together and then judging your entire well-being and how good you feel that day and how proud you are of yourself and you're judging all of it on something that is just nonsense and it's it's a recipe for disaster and there's no wonder that all of this fails time and time again and no wonder that people hate the thought of cardio and hate the thought of exercise because it's just so frustrating and no wonder people hate the the, the thought of having you know the wrong in quotes meal at the wrong in quotes time of day because then they've got to go and work out and figure out if was that correct and they've probably got to do more than it says on their watch because it didn't work last time and it's just it's a spiral of nonsense and so if we can start if, if we can start just talking about exercise in terms of, well, it's going to improve your health. Forget food, forget calories for a second. 
go and go and lift some weights and get stronger. It's a really, really cool achievement to be able to do a pull up that you couldn't do. Like I know this, I could never do a pull up and now I can. And it's like one of the coolest feelings in the world. Like, you know, that's got nothing to do with my food. Or your, like, se- and, or your and, self-worth. <laughs> it might build your no, self-esteem, exactly. but, it's make, but it makes you feel good and strong. Yeah. Forget my self-worth, but it, but it, you know, but it's a good, it's a good way of knowing that actually I have objectively become healthier because I have become stronger. Right. It's got nothing to do with, with anything that is so spurious as, oh, well, I've changed one point on the BMI scale and now I'm in a different bracket. And so I can stop now. Like, I'm good. Exactly. Like, it, it, it's just, it just makes no sense. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I think we learned so much. I think we'll, we have a better ability to communicate with our doctors and remember that we can and should continue to see our doctors, even if it mm, comes mm. with some fear, because they truly are compassionate people that want the best for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Josh, for coming on. Follow him at Dr. Joshua Walrich. And thanks for coming on. We're so happy we got to speak with you. No, thank you for having me. It was lovely to chat. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.